I don't do well without food. I have a track record of uh, randomly passing out when my blood sugar drops uh, pretty fast. Uh, It all started when I was uh, about seven-ish, six or seven years old, uh, and I passed out in my cousin's wedding. And I was in the wedding, and I was standing up front, and I just plopped right over. I remember it was, in, it was really hot and humid, and I hadn't eaten that day, and, and uh, I was standing next to my cousin, and I just turned to him, and I said, it was a really long wedding, and I just turned to him, and I said, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> and I just flat out landed on my face, and then I didn't have to stand in the wedding anymore. They took me, and I got to eat food, and it was great. Another time I passed out was in the line of a Best Buy checkout. And we were standing there, and it was taking a little bit longer than expected, and I just fell right over. I woke up, and there was a bunch of blue shirts standing all around me, wondering if I was okay or not. I was probably about, I don't know, 11. And uh, it, when I was in high school, I passed out on a plane. And that's for a whole other story. So not only do I suffer from low blood sugar, at times I can uh, pass, and I've passed out as an adult too, and don't worry, I've been checked out. They say I'm weird, uh, but that's just the way it is. I also suffer from something a lot more serious, and that is hanger. Hanger, or if you've ever heard the term hangry, is when you have not eaten and your blood sugar is low and you become very, very irritable, very angry, and little things get on your nerves. Maybe you suffer from low blood sugar. Uh, it's one of those things where I feel like I blame a lot. Maybe I, sh- maybe I should just eat more. <laughs> maybe uh, passing out. Maybe you've fallen victim of hanger. Or maybe you're one of those that can go days without eating and it doesn't phase you absolutely at all. But today, we talk about fasting. And so I invite you to open your Bibles with me as we talk about the third pillar of Jewish religious piety in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. We've been talking about these three pillars generosity or giving to those who need it. We talked about prayer. Last week we, we dug in a little bit deeper into the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. And now we get to uh, this, this last pillar of fasting. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16 through 18. Father in heaven, as we open your word here now, we pray that you would speak to us that you would anoint my lips and my, my words and my mind, that the words that I speak would be from you, and that these words would not just simply stay on the page, but they would impact our life and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he has said when you give, he has said when you pray, and now he says when you fast. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In the same exact way that he brings up giving, And the same exact way that he brings up prayer, there's a warning that he tells us to not do it like the hypocrites do. Don't do it to be seen by other people. Fasting was one of those things that was only required once a year for the Day of Atonement. However, it had been something that had grown over the course of time where people began to fast. The more religious people, especially the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week, every Monday and every Thursday. 
And they correlated it because it was a time when Moses went up and he returned from Mount Sinai with God. It was not required. It was simply a tradition that had been picked up and passed down from generation to generation. And so here they were every Monday and every Thursday they would fast. But not only would they fast, they wanted to make sure that you knew they were fasting. And so they would, they would take the time. They wouldn't groom themselves. They would look dirty. They would put stuff on their face, ash on their foreheads. They would maybe walk around with sackcloth. They wanted everyone to know that they were religious, that they were doing the things that they talked about doing, that they wanted others to know. And Jesus, right off the bat, just like giving when they would proclaim it, just like praying out in the street corners, he said that those who go to be seen by men, to be seen by others. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Over and over, Jesus keeps talking about the motive of why we do what we do. Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? He says that when you give, What's your motive? Is your motive so that others may see you give and they think that you're a generous person? If that is your motive, then guess what? You will receive your reward because people will see it and they will say, look how generous he or she is. If your motive is to make people think that you're more spiritual by your prayers and you want other people to hear your prayers and to think to themselves, wow, they really are a prayer warrior. Wow, they really do have a connection with God, then guess what? You're going to receive your reward because you're only looking for what others see or hear. And in fasting is the same way. And I would look at fasting as, and, and we can dive a little bit more, but fasting is a discipline. It's self-discipline. And so if you want others to think that you're spiritual and you're self-disciplined, then all you have to do is to let other people know what you do and how you do it spiritually so that they can look up to you and guess what? You will receive your reward. So whether it's fasting, no, 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 I'm not eating today, I'm, I'm fasting. Because in today's world, I mean, most of us aren't going to go put a bunch of stuff all over our face and disfigure, but you may walk around like this, ah, I'm so hungry. At least that's what 10-year-olds do when they're hungry. I'm so hungry. You may disfigure your face in a, in a way that maybe people will look at you and say, are you, are you okay? You're doing, you're doing all right? I'm fasting today. But it could be other things. It could be other spiritual disciplines. It's not just limited to these three things. You could just be yawning and yawning and yawning, whether it's real or not or whatever, and people say, are you, man, you look tired. I was up all night praying and reading scripture. Well, it's great if you want to stay up all night and pray and read scripture. But what Jesus is saying that when you're doing these things and trying to announce it to other people, trying to tell them how spiritual you are, you're going to receive the reward of them thinking that you're spiritual. But all three of these things, Jesus comes back to that says that when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you're praying, do it in a secret place. And when you're fasting, you do so in secret. That You don't have to announce it. Because the Father who sees you do these things in secret, he sees it and he will reward it. Fasting is one of those things that, that is much, uh, it's under controversy in the Christian church. So while anyone would say that giving and being generous or reading scripture or even praying, those are like givens. But when it comes to fasting, people tend to say, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on there. And maybe it's because of what Jesus had to say in, in Matthew chapter 9 when you refer to fasting. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole explanation of what fasting is and whether we should or should not do it. Fasting is one of those things that is between you and the Lord. There are great benefits of fasting. But what fasting had turned into, what they had done fasting for, is most likely to appease their Father in heaven and to be noticed by others, and maybe even to push back the wrath 
of God. So the thing was, was fasting turned into this thing of, of beating yourself up so that you could maybe get the blessing from God. Fasting is one of those things, and whether it's fasting from food, there's total fasts where you fast from food and drink, which is not very healthy, so be very careful about that. But most would fast from food, but they would still drink water or other things. Uh, and that is, there's, there's health benefits to that. I mean, as you, as you maybe have fasted before, your mind sometimes can become a little bit more clear. And maybe as you're trying to make important decisions or you're trying to s- just get wisdom or guidance, maybe something lo- along those lines are appropriate. Sometimes when you're going into a, a time of, of special prayer for someone, maybe you will, you will fast. And all of those things are not so that you say, hey, Lord, look at me, I'm fasting. I need you to have favor on me in this situation. It, the whole thing is, is for us to be more in tune with, with our God, with our Creator, with our Redeemer. And so that's what, that's what fasting really is for. It's a self-discipline. And maybe, it's, maybe, you're, maybe you cannot physically fast from food, but you could fast from other things, right? You can fast from media. You can fast from sugar. You can fast from uh, social media. You can fast from your phone. You can fast from... I mean, there's so many different things that you could say, I'm taking a break. It's causing me anxiety or it's causing me busyness or it's causing me to be unable to focus on what God is wanting me to do and so I'm taking a break from it. Maybe you take a break from it indefinitely, but maybe it's just a time of of reprieve. But like I said, many will, will try to argue whether you should or you shouldn't and all those things. And, and I think it's one of those things where maybe Jesus is inviting people to, to take part in this, but it's not necessarily a required thing. I'm not really sure. I don't have all the answers to all this. But I do look at a some examples that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 9. If you want to go with me just a few chapters over, and you can find this in Matthew 9, you can find this encounter in Mark chapter 2 as well. But in Matthew chapter 9, we'll stay in Matthew because we're already in Matthew. Jesus is approached by the disciples of John, John the Baptist. And so they're coming to Jesus. They're noticing something. They're noticing that the followers of Jesus are not fasting. Again, Monday, Thursday type thing. This was like a weekly, not in the, the Day of Atonement thing. This was, this was like extracurricular, extra credit fasting. This was one of those things that you wanted people to know that you, were, that you got it together, that you're spiritual, that you're religious, and so you take this stuff really seriously. And so every Monday and every Thursday, you'd see a bunch of people walking around with disfigured faces and ungroomed and unkept hair and all the different things, and you would just know that, oh, they're fasting. And some people may look at that and go, wow, they're really spiritual. Whatever the case is, Jesus wasn't having it. He already talked about it. Don't do that. Don't disfigure your faces. Don't look gloomy. Even, even uh, Ellen White, I love what she says, nothing about the religion of Jesus is gloomy. It's, it should be full of joy and excitement and, and, and things like that. So anyways, but these are the things. The disciples of John came to him. This is Matthew 9, verse 14. They came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So it's interesting. They don't really point it at him. They point it at the disciples. And, and even in Mark, you'll find that they really they're really picking on the disciples, you know, when they're out picking grain and different things like that. But, you know, how they kept the Sabbath and all these things. And Jesus, he just, he had a way, didn't he? He had a way of, of dealing with these critical people. So they, they come to him and they say, why do we, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? And this was Jesus' answer. He said, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn? as long as the bridegroom is with them? Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? We go to a wedding and it lasts a couple hours by the time you're, you get there and you leave and maybe you have a meal or whatever the case is. They would do weddings for like a whole week. It was a big celebration. It was a big, and, and the whole thing was a come and go feast. 
I would have loved it. I mean, you come and go, and you're just eating, and so they just make food available all the time. It was a time of feasting. It was not a time of fasting. It was not a time of mourning. It was a time of celebration. And so Jesus relates himself as being the bridegroom and saying, how could the guests to this wedding be, be, how could they be mourning and fasting when the bridegroom is present? Because they knew what it meant to go to a wedding. They knew what all that, that stuff meant. And Jesus is basically saying, how could my disciples be mourning when I'm with them? And so it, it, in, in this, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So it seems as though that, that maybe he's referring to his crucifixion when he is taken from them, and there'll be a time when they do fast. Maybe they fast regularly, maybe they fast just in that time. We don't really know what Jesus is really pointing at, but he, the big thing here is that while he is with them, there is nothing to be sad about. While God is with them, as Jesus is with them, Why would they need to? So he keeps going. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. There are two things that Jesus is addressing here. One was the fasting side of things. He's answering that question. But then he goes to a whole nother level. And maybe some of us are ready to hear it, and maybe some of us aren't ready to hear it. But let's just look at two different things. Jesus says that you don't put a new patch on an old garment. Because what happens? If you, don't put, a, if you put a new patch that's unshrunk on a new garment, as time goes on, it will shrink and it will tear away. It doesn't work. In the same way, you don't put new wine in old wineskins, meaning that, that if you put that in there, as natural fermentation occurs, the old wineskins would burst and you'd lose everything. So you'd lose a garment, you'd lose the wineskins, you'd lose it all when you're trying to take the old and the new and you're trying to blend them together. Jesus did not come to patch an old system does, that does not match the revolutionary rule of God. He's not simply a reformer of the old. He's there to transform everything. See, the old system, anything that would try to appease God, try to gain favor with God, anything to look good in front of other people, As we said, people were fasting twice a week. They were looking for maybe the approval. But Jesus' disciples and his kingdom is about something new. Jesus didn't come to make the old system better. He came to fulfill it and to create something new. His gospel, his kingdom, was going to change the world. And it did until it didn't. Because while there was a mass movement into understanding Jesus' new kingdom and what he came to represent, the old and the new began to clash. And there became quite a bit of disagreement on what should be and what shouldn't be. You see, you find different elements of this, probably one of the biggest, I mean the biggest things 
in order to be in covenant with God from the time that Abraham was there, what was it? You don't even want to say it out loud. I get it. Circumcision. I don't blame you. It's a painful word. Circumcision. That was the sign of being in the covenant, right? Isn't that? I mean, first you had Abraham who believed and was considered unto him righteous, right? But then God says, all right, here is the sign. Here's the covenant. This is what, what your household needs to do, and this is what everybody else needs to do. There's a conflict in the New Testament in the book of Acts where you have this group that's saying, hey, in order to be part of the covenant of Abraham, you must be circumcised. And there's another group that says, no, you don't. Jesus took care of that. He fulfilled it. And you don't have to be circumcised that you were simply grafted in to the, the, the Abraham covenant. And so there's a fighting that's going on. It changed the world until it didn't. There was this fight that's happening between the old system and what Jesus brought in as his kingdom. And we find another one Another time of talking about this in Galatians, and I want to invite you to go with me to the book of Galatians. Because Paul, who came from the old and into the new, understands the tension, and he understands why or what's going on and why it's happening. And so Paul, he addresses it many times, but one of the best times I think he addresses it is in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Starting in verse 6, Galatians 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The beginning of his letter, he hits it right up front. I'm astonished that you who have accepted the new are going back to the old. And he said there are people among you that are trying to destroy you, trying to to come in there and try to tell you that you have to do certain things in order to achieve or be part of the covenant of God. Look at chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. They're trying to take the new and patch it with the old. Campers are a lot of fun until they aren't. (laughs) It's fun to go out and enjoy nature and all those things, but as you know, campers have a way of something always needing to be fixed. And if you're not really good at getting the camper ready for a Montana winter, you'll have a lot of things that need to be fixed. And in one, one year, I remember that it got colder earlier than expected and we were out of town and I had not winterized the camper yet. And so as soon as I got back, it had warmed back up and I, had, I tried to do everything I could, but there was damage that had already been done. And one of the things that had been done was, 
was the, the, the sewer drain. Uh, on the outside, the pipe had completely cracked down the middle. So water had been in there and expanded and it had cracked. And so, you know, looking at it and trying to figure out how it was attached to the gray tank and everything, I thought, well, man, I, I, I don't know how to fix this by myself. So I, you know, did a little research and I came across, uh, you know, plastic welding. And I thought, how hard could it be? Pretty hard. So I, but I go and I get the, the, little, the little iron that heats up and I get up underneath and I see this crack and I get the stuff out and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I am patching this, this old cracked pipe and I think I'm doing a pretty good job. And I'm doing, my, I'm doing my best, and I'm going through, and I'm taking it, and I'm melting this stuff down, and I'm patching it on there, and I'm patching this thing, and I've patched it all the way up, and I run a little bit of water through there, and nothing leaks, and I go, perfect, I did it! First camping trip, we're out there that next, the next year. Drip, 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 drip. Gray water, okay, just, it's gray, don't, don't worry really difficult to patch something that's old I would got down there again you think I'd learned my lesson I got down there again next camping after the camping trip get back get, get it all dried out go under it again and I patch 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 do everything I can to melt that back down and to get it all the way that it needs to be next camping trip 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 You see, when you try to patch something that's not meant to be patched, it just doesn't work. What really needed to be done was for me to take out all of it and replace it with brand new, fresh pipe to make sure that it doesn't leak anymore. They were trying to take the new and patch it with the old. They were saying that in order to be saved, you must follow these guidelines. In order to be saved, you must be circumcised. Maybe that was it. Maybe, it, maybe that wasn't the complete argument that Paul was dealing with here in Galatians. I tend to think that it more along the lines of keeping the law. They were trying to say that in order to be saved, you must keep the law. And that there's many of us today that would agree with that. That in order to be saved, we must keep the law. I mean, Revelation 12 tells us, here's the, command, here's the, the, the remnant, they are they that keep the commandments of God, And have the faith of Jesus. And so we look at that in an end time context and we say, look, God's people must be keeping the law. So you and I must be keeping the law in order that we may be saved. But that's not what Paul says. It's not what the gospel says. It's not what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Anyone who believes, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Even Paul says, going on in chapter 3 and verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Don't try to patch the new over with the old. Don't try to put new wine in old wineskins. Jesus has moved everything from outward to inward. So let's talk about that for a minute. Outward was righteousness came from keeping the law. Righteousness came from doing. It came from this outward perspective. If I wanted everyone to know that I was righteous, then these are the things that I would do so everyone could see. I wanted God to not be mad at me, so I'm going to do these things. That was, I mean, think about it. The children of Israel, they, they couldn't help but think this way. Because every time they, they followed God and they, they, they surrendered to him, right, they repented to him, God, God was there and he 
pulled them out of bondage and slavery and all these things, and they lived in peace. But the moment they turned away from God and had other gods, then they went back down and into doing things in their own eyes, and they paid the price for that. They went into bondage. They went into slavery. They had people that came in and took over their land and took over their women and took over their families. So what do they do? They put up protection around them, and they say, okay, here's the law of God, and here are all these other rules and laws that we're going to create to protect that boundary so that God doesn't abandon us again so that we don't have to go through the things that we went through in the past. you got to think, you and I do this every day. When people hurt us, we put up walls, we put up barriers, we put up boundaries so that they can't hurt us again. Well, they, were, they did it in a spiritual realm and in a religious realm. And so they, they had all these things. They, they believed that God's wrath would be against them if they didn't keep the Ten Commandments or all of Moses' law, the whole Torah. And they believed that God would be good to them if they just kept it why do you think the pharisees were so mad at jesus because he was pushing against the very things that they had established he has no regard for the law he's trying to get rid of it he's trying to dismiss it he's trying to do all these things and jesus says i've not come to destroy the law i've come to fulfill outward maybe there are some old things that outwardly that we hang on to as well I mean there are things that we do as Christians or even as Adventists that we do it because that's just what we're supposed to do you can fill in whatever things that you want to there I just think that Oftentimes that there have been traditions and rules that have never been explicitly stated in the Bible or even in the spirit of prophecy that we just take and we say that this is how it is done. When I was on a a mission trip, when I was in high school, we went to Costa Rica. And we had a a fantastic time. I'm not sure if I've told this story before or not, but I remember that we had gone to build uh, a big multiplex center of like a church and a school building and we did VBS uh, with the kiddos in the evening and you know it was, a, it was a big long, it was a long week and it was a hard week but on, on Sabbath we got to take a break and they took us up into, uh, into the mountains of Costa Rica and we got to hike and explore and, and all these things and it was just really beautiful, it was also very hot and so we're all sticky and we're all, we're all just hot and gross and sweaty and all these things and at the, the the pinnacle of the hike at the very end we come to this huge waterfall and it's just beautiful this huge pool down below and had multiple levels and multiple layers and we're all standing there around this water a bunch of high school students and we're just looking at this water now what would tradition say Tradition, on a Sabbath afternoon with a bunch of water, you better not get in beyond your ankles. Because if you get in beyond your ankles, then God is going to be mad at you. And that's just not what we do. I was such a rebel. Such rebellion. I just... I didn't even think anything about it. I know that everyone was kind of standing there just, and everyone's wishing, right? You talk about lawlessness. Lawlessness was in the place, okay? Lawlessness was, was this idea that I want to, but I can't because I don't want to get in trouble. That's, you know, that's what lawlessness is, this idea that something that should be there anyways. The whole thing is, is, is I looked at that, and oh, man, the water is coming down, and it's crystal clear, and you know, you just felt it with your hand, and it was just perfect, So I jumped in. I was the first one. Jumped in. All the way in. Like my, my hair got wet. And then my friend jumped in. And then three other people jumped in. What a, I was a bad influence that day. 
because everyone jumped in that water. And it was a, it's probably the one memory of that mission trip that we all remember was the Sabbath afternoon that we spent in the mountains refreshing with our God. You know, we, we got out of the water and we spent some time in prayer together. There were many people on that trip that even got baptized. It was beautiful. What was not beautiful was being pulled aside by the leaders of the mission trip and scolding me for jumping in. Now, whether you believe it's okay or not, that's not what the discussion is. But I knew what the tradition was. Outward. It's always outward. See, in their mind, it didn't matter what was on the inside, right? In the inside, I could be wanting to be in that water so bad, but as long as I don't do it outwardly, I'm okay. But that goes against everything that Jesus is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount. He is going after it and saying, I'm not after an outward obedience. I'm after an inward transformation. That's what Jesus is after, and that's what the new covenant brings. It turns from an outward to an inward. Now, before you want to run around and say, the pastor says you can do whatever you want, let's just talk about what inward means. Because an inward transformation means that when I accept Jesus, the Bible tells me that I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit, the new covenant is then grafted into me. And I'm grafted into it. And that new covenant that the Bible talks about, that God says, I'm going to retake your stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm going to take your old spirit and replace it with my spirit. And I'm going to take my laws and write it on the hearts of all of those who follow me. Inward. God's law God's law of love flows from the inside out. How well you keep the law does not determine your salvation. If you're uncomfortable with that, I want you to go back and read your Bible. Jesus gives you salvation Jesus gives you salvation and he seals you with his spirit and your heart is replaced and when your heart is replaced and the new covenant resides in your heart you and I live differently that we live by the spirit of God You live according to his values. You live according to his principles. It's an inward change that happens. Jesus, when he's talking about the old and the new, what he's saying is that you can't, just what Paul is saying in Galatians, look, when you're trying to take the good news of the gospel, but then you're trying to hang on to the old works of the flesh, he says they collide. It's like when you're saying that I'm a new creation, but you don't believe that you're really new. You say that you're free from the power and the bondage of sin, but you keep going back to it because you don't believe it. And eventually the patch is going to wear off, and eventually the wineskin's going to explode, and you're going to look at it and say, all of it's for naught, all of it's in vain. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm not out to patch the old. Don't use Jesus as a patch. Use him as an all-new, brand-new kingdom in your life. I love what Steps to Christ says. says, if we abide in Christ, if we abide in Christ, if the love of God dwells in us, our feelings, our thoughts, our purposes, and our actions will be in harmony 
with the will of God as expressed in the precepts of his holy law. It's different. So what I say, keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, is it important? Well, is being sealed with the Holy Spirit important? And would Jesus living in my heart not lead me to live a life of his values and his principles? So by keeping the Ten Commandments, it's not about me trying to maintain my salvation. It's about celebrating my salvation. It's about wanting to live a whole new life in Christ. I mean, I think that when people say, well, do, do, you know, does it really matter? You know, you're just saying that it doesn't really matter what, what we do. And I would say, oh, contraire. Because everything we do is derived from Christ. So why wouldn't I want to? It's a whole different way of living. If I want to just say that I'm a Christian, but I want to go do all the things that I want to do selfishly, then I'm not really believing. I'm just playing the game. And so I'm trying to straddle the fence here, and I'm going, you know, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I want to do this, but I also want to live my own life. And Jesus says, look, that's lukewarm. I don't have time for that. You're either hot or cold. Let's, just, let's not play this game. But if we think that For a moment, if we think that by how well I keep the law, then God will be proud of me and he'll give his salvation to me, we're as pagan as the next. Because we are taking our works and we're mixing it with his. We're taking everything that I can do, but everything that I fall flat on, I use him as a patch. I would rather have the whole new garment. I would rather have the whole robe of righteousness. I don't want a patch. I don't want a clean heart. I want a new heart. I want to take, I want God to take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. I don't want to live my old life and struggle and fight and do all these things and then just hope that one day I can just patch Jesus onto it? I want a whole new character. Now I know, realize that the enemy loves to come in and tries to, to try to tell you that you're, that you're not free, that you're not victorious, that you're not conquerors, that you're not ambassadors, that you're not a child, that you're not these things. I know the adversary loves to do that to us and occasionally we fall for those lies. But I want to remind you today that Jesus isn't just about putting on a patch. He's about giving you a whole new way of living. If I'm sealed with the Spirit and I'm living by the Spirit and I've got Christ in my life and I, we're living together in this journey of life, well, then I would look at it and say, why would I have any other gods before him? Why would I take his name in vain? Why would I disregard a day that reminds me of what he's done for me in my life by creating as well as redeeming? Why would I disregard that? Why not rest in his goodness? Eric read Hebrews chapter 4, the idea of, of entering into that rest, entering into Jesus. Why would I want to disregard that? Why would I want to keep going and make it, make it feel like I've got to do all these things. I've got, to, I've got to work seven days a week. That's, that's putting a lot of pressure on you. When we could be living in the Spirit and letting the Spirit rule and reign in my life. Outward to inward. Outward to inward. I'm not sure all the things that Jesus was referring to when he talked about the old garments or the old wineskins. But I do know that he came to do something new. To bring it new. And he wants to bring that newness in your life and in mine. 
the way we live our life. We can either be chasing after God, this idea that I've got to please him and I've got to get his approval and I've got to get him to notice me and I've got to do all these different things. That's one way to live this life. Or I can live life out of the abundance of knowing that I'm his already. In these three things of giving and praying and fasting, I think all three of them Jesus is saying, what's your motive? Why are you doing what you're doing? He was addressing individuals who were doing the things, all good things, for the wrong reasons. But he said, if you do it in secret with your Father in heaven, he will see it. He's bringing the intimacy and the closeness together. If we live out of the abundance of what God has done for us, our lives will be so much better <laughs> that you would look at it and say, well, what about, what about keeping this and what about keeping that? Of course you would. Why wouldn't you? But you're going to be keeping it with the right pure motive because it's out of love for what God has done in your life. We believe that. We believe that. We talk about that all the time. You've heard the, the illustration that if I have a mirror and I have dirt on my face and I have all the, the things, the law is, is like a glass, right? Or gla the law is like a mirror that when I look in the mirror, it reveals the dirt that I have on my face, right? It reveals the, the law reveals the transgressions that I've, that I've made, but I can't then take that mirror and wipe it all over my face and clean it. It doesn't work that way. The only way it gets clean is by Jesus. But it's not just so that he washes my face so that I can then look back in the mirror again. It's almost like he takes the mirror and he takes it away and he puts it written right here in our hearts. And he says, this is how I want you to live. I want to abide in you. Just like, what this, just like what she says in Ellen White, or in Steps of Christ. I want to dwell in you. And when God dwells in us, our feelings, our thoughts, our purposes, and our actions will be in harmony with the will of God as expressed in the precepts of his holy law. Talking about his law of love, the Ten Commandments, whatever you want to say. So we may be looking at it and say, well, I don't know if I should be keeping this or I should be keeping that. What if, what if you just followed the lamb wherever he leads you? What if you followed Jesus wherever he led? What if you did, kept whatever Jesus kept? What if you followed what his word says because it's his word. Because of the abundance of what God has done in your life. Don't believe another gospel. Don't believe that you can take the old with the new. Don't think that by doing certain things, then you will be saved. Only by believing and calling upon the name of the Lord. And it transforms your life. It will lead you to repentance. It will lead you to confession. It will lead you to the foot of the cross. But God's love continues to draw every human being all the time. You are being drawn by him. He loves you. The question is, is how will you respond? Are you going to keep it outward? Or are you going to let him come in and make the inward change, the inward transformation? Father in heaven, what you have done for us by going to the cross and taking on the sin of the world and freeing us from the power of it 
that took so much love. It took so much love. And because of that love, we get to experience this free gift of salvation. And Lord, as we accept, we receive this salvation that you give to us. You seal us with your spirit that you change our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. May you do it from the inside out. That our motives would be pure. That we would do what you've called us to do. That we would live the way that you've called us to live. But Lord, that we would not be like the hypocrites where we do the right thing for the wrong reasons with the wrong motive. Or Lord, that we would see what is wrong and we don't do it simply because we're scared that we're going to get caught or we're scared that we're going to get in trouble or we're scared that you're going to blot our name out of the book of life. Instead, Lord, may we see those things as things that break your heart and they're going to destroy me as well. May we look at these things that that the enemy has tried to wrap us up into and see it for what it really is. And because you live in us and because you have written your laws on our heart, because you've sealed us with your spirit, we look at those things and we say, those things don't give me life, only you do. So Lord, help us to live our best life in you and you in us. May this be an inward change, an inward transformation, that we wouldn't use you as a patch, that we don't try to take the new and mix it with the old, but we would live a new life in Christ Jesus. We see how you call your disciples to live. And as we continue to learn in the Sermon on the Mount how you've called us to live, may we be receptive to how you are moving in our hearts that then you would change us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. Thank you for sealing us with your spirit. Thank you for replacing this heart. Thank you for writing your laws on our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit in our life. For without you, Everything we do are as good as filthy rags. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.